Welcome to This is the Author, where authors talk about narrating their audiobooks. In this episode, meet contemporary art curator Jennifer Dassel, journalist and science writer Emily Willingham, and writer and editor John Jeremiah Sullivan. Enjoy. This is Jennifer Dassel, author of Art Curious, stories of the unexpected, slightly odd, and strangely wonderful in art history. I wrote my book because when I was growing up, I wasn't very interested in art. I thought it was super dull and very boring and had no interest in it whatsoever, and then eventually became introduced to art and art history and found out that it was this incredible world full of totally random, fascinating stories. And I thought, oh my gosh, where has this been my whole life? And uh, I just wanted to share these stories because I know that there are a lot of people out there who probably feel that same way, that art is not for them, that there is really no good way for them to get into it. It seems really kind of off-putting and elitist to some. And I thought sometimes you just need a great story to get you there. So that is where my podcast, Art Curious, began, and that podcast eventually begat this book. If I had to describe what it was like to record my audiobook in one word, that word would be exciting. I think it was super exciting. I've never done anything like this before, even though I've been a big listener to audiobooks. So it just felt cool to be able to jump in and have a real director and an audio producer and everything. It just feels like I'm part of this world that I have long enjoyed, and I now get to be witness to it. Oh gosh, I realize I had trouble pronouncing anything in French or German or another foreign language. I know French. I can read it very well. I can hear it and be able to translate it pretty well. But I still struggle with the speaking. So actually pronouncing it out loud and coming up with anything to say in any sort of French-sounding accent is really hard. And when it feels like half of the artists that I am discussing either were French or lived in France for a period of time or themselves are part of this kind of community that involved anything French, I noticed that a lot, all these odd French pronunciations. I'm proud that I was able to read this book myself. It was something that I wasn't sure would be a possibility. I thought maybe it would be automatically sent out to a seasoned voice actor, for example. As a podcaster, I was hoping that I could be able to do the narration, but again, it was not a given from the beginning in my own mind. So I'm really excited because this book is, of course, very personal. It was inspired by my own experiences with art, and it has a lot of my humor and personality in it. So it's exciting that I was able to go ahead and make this happen. Ooh, this is such a good question. If I wasn't going to record my audiobook, hmm. I think there's a lot of people I'd want to do it. I think I'd probably choose somebody who has equal smarts and sass. So I would choose somebody like Emma Stone or Emma Watson, or basically just any Emma to do my book. (laughs) 
The last great audiobook I listened to that I loved was Samantha Irby's We Are Never Meeting in Real Life, which I just finished last week. And it's my second audiobook of hers that I've listened to. And she is so funny, so smart, that I was doing that thing where you're literally walking around your neighborhood and laughing out loud and looking like an idiot to your neighbors. It was that good. Basically, my favorite place to listen to audiobooks is anywhere and everywhere. It's really kind of the background to my life because I listen to them when I'm in the car, when I'm getting ready in the morning, when I'm making the bed, when I'm doing the laundry, pretty much any time I'm awake and not attentively speaking to someone else or helping my kid with anything, I have earbuds in and I'm listening to audiobooks. I hope that you enjoy this clip from my audiobook. Growing up, even though my mother exposed me to culture in its various iterations, the symphony, ballet, theater, I remember very little emphasis on visual art, other than the framed exhibition poster featuring one of Claude Monet's myriad water lily scenes that hung on my parents' bedroom wall. It held interest for me only in that it was chock full of purples and pinks, the best colors in the world, to six-year-old me. I do recall, though, the day that my lack of knowledge of Claude Monet, 1840 to 1926, moved from a bedroom wall to the greater world. Hi, this is Emily Willingham, author of Fallacy, Life Lessons from the Animal Penis. I wrote my book because I had some experience as a biologist researching penises and had become concerned about the state of the penis in the world today. I felt that it might be time to position it in the place where it belongs in the animal kingdom, which may not necessarily be where some people think it belongs. I was inspired to write this book by a couple of things. First of all, I have sons, and I'm interested in seeing them treated as full human beings and not as one part of their bodies. I also, in looking around at what's happening in our culture, think that it's time for us to recenter our focus on discussions around masculinity on the brain rather than on the other body part. If I had to describe what it was like to record my audiobook in one word, that word would be intense. And the reason that it's intense is because you have to read your entire book while you're doing it. As you do that, you find places where you may wish you had written it a little bit differently or phrased something a little differently, or you hear a word repeat, or you find a typo. And that, along with talking for several hours straight, makes the whole experience somewhat intense. I realized I had trouble pronouncing the word elide, which I now regret using. I liked the way I had been pronouncing it, which was elide, which sounds a lot nicer to me. That or emu, you know, and in about a million Latinate terms, but that's the one that's bugging me. I am proud that I was able to, I hope, produce a blend of humor, but also some really serious observations about the role of genitalia in our perceptions of masculinity versus femininity, or what we call those things, and how those perceptions need to change. 
I'm excited that listeners will hear a whole lot about non-human animals and the just bananas array of genitalia that's out there that they may not otherwise have heard about. If I weren't going to record my audiobook, I would cast Carrie Fisher because her humor is attractive to me, and I always appreciated the dryness of it and her willingness to go there with just any amount of snark. She was sharp as a tack, and I just feel like her voice would have translated this well. And I miss her just being around on Earth. The last audiobook that I listened to that I loved was Catch and Kill by Ronan Farrow. And then I went and listened to the entire podcast that followed. It was inspiring to me in a lot of ways in terms of just pushing through with this book because that whole book is about hashtag me too and the bad behavior of a lot of men and what they did with their penises. Plus, it was just great investigative reporting. It was really interesting from beginning to end. My favorite place to listen to audiobooks is when I'm on walks alone, which since the pandemic started has not been as often because everybody's at my house all the time and now we're all walking together. That's not actually a big problem I want to make clear. <laughs> I enjoy walking with them. I just don't get to listen to audiobooks as much. <laughs> and now, listen to a clip from my audiobook. When it comes to human sexuality, scientific studies can be heavily skewed toward questions men want addressed, answered in ways that men want them answered. In a field called evolutionary psychology, that has often meant that answers to questions about sexuality favor what the overrepresented sex, men, in this field want. One of the many problems is that people use this androcentric nonsense to justify being brutal, angry, aggressive, or degrading to others in the name of some vague authenticity that evolution baked into them. Hi, this is John Jeremiah Sullivan, author of Blood Horses, Notes of a Sports Writer's Son. I was inspired to write this book by having a couple of different events come together in my life, one happy and one very sad. I had been given an assignment in 2000, I think, by Harper's Magazine, which at that time was edited by Lewis Lapham. And the assignment was just to go to the Kentucky Derby and write about it. Lewis knew that I was born in Louisville, and so there was a hope that I might bring some kind of native perspective to the whole thing. But really, it was more about looking at the race as a spectacle and doing some reporting on all of the little subcultures that were necessary to make the show come together. And then right around the same time that I was working on that piece, my father got very sick and I had this conversation with him, which I didn't know at the time was the last conversation I would ever have with him. But it turned out to be. And it had to do with a memory that he had of reporting on the Kentucky Derby in 1973, which is the year when Secretariat won and went on to set records and become immortal. And then my father died, so I was living in the shockwave of that grief and already writing this thing about horses, which had expanded by that point beyond the 
limits of a piece and was turning into some kind of book-length thing. I didn't really know what it was at the time. So those two occurrences coming together like that produced the book. I was kind of using one to make sense of the other in some way. If I had to describe what it was like to record my audiobook in one word, the word would be complicated, I think. Parts of it are fun to read. Parts of it are funny. Parts of it are stimulating, I hope, and maybe suspenseful. But parts of it are deeply painful and have to do with memories that even I haven't revisited in a while, you know, because this stuff happened 20 years ago. So, you know, sometimes I had to kind of pull off a scab in order to read it right. I realized while we were recording that I, well, I had trouble pronouncing a few words correctly, which is one of the interesting things of doing this. You are speaking so many words out loud that it's typical, I think, to discover that there are a few words you're not quite saying like other people do, or maybe not quite saying them correctly. But that gets you into this second, more interesting question of what does correctly mean? Does the dictionary always reflect actual speech? Just to give two examples, one was lolling, as in his tongue was lolling. I've always said lolling with that round O, but the dictionary actually says lulling, almost as if there were you. And then I became insecure about it, and I watched a video of Boris Johnson giving a speech and using that word, which was probably not the most inspiring example, but the first one that came up. Another one that came up was presage. At least that's how I've always said it, that this presaged disaster. The dictionary on that one says presaged, you know, giving away my provincial origins there. I'm proud or pleased anyway that in this recording we were able to get the different tones of the book and have them hold together in the same way that I hope the book holds together for the most part, which is to say there are sections of narrative, of kind of brisk journalism and storytelling. There are sections of memoir that are a little quieter. And then there are these harder-to-define sections that have to do with the history of the horse and the human reverence for the horse. And those are maybe almost a little more scholarly or essayistic. So we had to do some modulating, and I was grateful for the advice of Joseph Ward, the director, and of Jeff Hinton, who's here in the recording booth. They helped me identify moments when the tone was drifting a little bit and not doing that. But Mainly, I'm happy that we were able to reproduce the tone of the language in the book or to reproduce the differences in tone, the shifts, and not have them feel like a non sequitur every time or like they didn't really belong together. My dream narrator, if I couldn't do this recording myself, would be probably the actor Michael Shannon. He's one of my favorite actors. He's a Kentucky person, so I think we talk in a similar way, maybe, although he has a more you know, distinctive actor's speech. But I feel like that would be natural. I can hear that being natural if you were to read it. 
The last great audiobook I listened to, I want to say something newer, but it was Treasure Island. And it had a really good reader. I don't even know who it was. And we listened to it on a long car trip, and I found myself just being totally enthralled by it the same way I was as a kid when I had the old edition of that book with the N.C. Wyeth drawings, great colored illustrations. And even my kids were into it. They were 14 and 9 earlier this year. My favorite place to listen to audiobooks is in the car, or I guess that's the place where I end up listening to them. Whenever we have a long car trip coming up, that's one of the things we have on the list to do before we take off is get some audiobooks. I love listening to audiobooks while I drive because it's always been kind of a vexed activity for me. I get really anxious and just kind of start to go nuts with boredom and it can make it unpleasant, you know. So audiobooks and the ability to play them in the car like that It's kind of a godsend for me because I just let my brain float into the narrative and hours go by. And now, listen to a clip from my audiobook. It was in the month of May, three years ago, by a hospital bed in Columbus, Ohio, where my father was recovering from what was supposed to have been a quintuple bypass operation, but became, on the surgeons actually seeing the heart, a sextuple. His face, my father's face, was pale. He was thinner than I had seen him in years. A stuffed bear that the nurses had loaned him lay crooked in his lap. They told him to hug it whenever he stood or sat down to keep the stitches in his chest from tearing. This is the Author is a production of Penguin Random House Audio. Thank you for listening. For more behind-the-mic content and audiobook recommendations, visit www.penguinrandomhouseaudio.com slash next listen.